You're listening to the Solo to CEO podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Solo to CEO podcast, where we provide a mix of powerful, thought-provoking, and practical information to assist you in your transformation from solo to CEO of a high-impact, high-revenue-generating business. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Jacqueline Roberson, founder and CEO of Law Office of Jacqueline Y. Roberson. The Law Office of Jacqueline Y. Roberson focuses on providing family law, estate planning, probate, and guardianship legal services to clients throughout Texas. Welcome, Jacqueline. I'm so pleased you're here with us on the Solo to CEO podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us uh, uh, about your law practice. And I know I named your practice areas, but, you know, uh, looking at your uh, website, and of course, knowing you, um, I know that you offer a, a whole list of services. There's a whole lot encompassed in family law, estate planning, probate, guardianship. So tell us more about your law practice and how you serve your clients. Okay. So we basically handle family law, which you're correct. That is definitely a very broad area of law. So typically when people ask me, well, what does family law mean? It includes divorce, child custody, child support, adoptions, you know, even something uh, like a name change in Texas is considered family law. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that is going to affect your existing family that or help you create a new one, that's what family law entails. Estate planning, we do basic, excuse me, basic estate planning. And that's basically we help people with preparing wills, powers of attorney, things that they're going to need, not just upon their passing, but before in case they are incapacitated and unable to make certain decisions for themselves. Uh, And then we also do probate, which here in Texas means that someone has passed away and we now need to go to court and handle their estate. So that's really the focus of our practice. And every part of it, we are serving families in some way. So I know that you have a particular passion for um, for helping uh, families in dealing with um, child abuse cases and uh, violence against children that you and prevention of violence against children and helping families through that process. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Of course. So um, I started handling child welfare cases pretty much as soon as I became licensed as an attorney. So back in 2003, um, I have represented children. I've represented parents, grandparents, foster parents. I even represented CPS, Child Protective Services, for about three and a half years. So that is definitely a skill set that I have. Um, What we find a lot is that CPS cases are very personality driven, and Mm -hmm. we're here to we're here to help our clients navigate that. Right now, our primary focus is helping grandparents or foster parents or other non-parent kinship to um, navigate the CPS process and to gain custody of children in CPS care. And the reason that we focus on that particular group of people is because um, 
unfortunately, a lot of times there is a very valid reason why these children have been taken from the parents. And it's always a goal. It should always be a goal that these children remain with family or remain with people who have their best interests at heart. And so that's what we do is we help people keep the children in the family or keep mm-hmm. the children who are going to be with people who truly love and care for them and have been their support system this entire time. We don't want children to have to be raised by strangers. And so even with foster parents, you have parents who have had the children for a year or more, and all of a sudden um, CPS might be looking to remove the children. We help foster parents who have been these children's caregivers keep these children. Is this something that you kind of, um, it kind of evolved for you as, you know, I I know oftentimes um, attorneys sort of wind up in a, in an area of practice because they, they have, you know, they start out with some sort of internship or something like that. And, and then they develop a passion for something because they experience it that way. Um, But then others, you know, go to law school knowing that this is an area that they're going to practice in, how, you know, is, is this how this developed for you was, or, or did you just, you know, is it through the, is it through your work that you developed a passion for this area or was it something you always knew you wanted to do? It's something that definitely developed through my work and throughout my practice. So my first job out of law school as an attorney was working for an organization called the San Antonio Community Law Center. And that company specifically serviced people who maybe were on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, but who could still pay something to attorneys. And um, so people who couldn't qualify for legal aid, but people who couldn't necessarily go and put down five, ten thousand $10,000 to go and hire a lawyer. So we were kind of in that middle ground. And so through that, I started doing work on CPS cases, child welfare cases, and that's where that passion developed. Mm-hmm. And what made you decide to open your own law practice? Uh, in 2006, I just decided that it was time for me to go out on my own. I wanted to be able to offer more options and have more control over my business decisions. And so that's what made me go out and open my own practice. And and so, so tell me. So 2006, you've uh, you've had your own practice for quite a while now. So tell me about your business now. How uh, you have other attorneys working with you, other staff working with you. Give me an idea of like the size of your practice now. Right. So right now I have one associate, so there's me as the owner slash managing attorney, then I have one associate and I also have an of counsel. And then we also have, uh, we need to count, one, so we have four other support staff, so non-attorneys. So right now, total about seven full-time and part-time employees. Wow, so you have really... Uh, gone through quite a few growth phases since you've started. You know, when right. I start when I when I start talking when I talk to a lot of clients, I've worked with clients of all different uh, phases of growth um, on this solo to CEO journey. You know, I've, I've worked with everybody from 
brand new true solos all the way through, you know, uh, much bigger firms. And um, I know that each level that you go through is a phase. When you first start out, the, the fear of even hiring your first person, you know, is a very real thing. So you've definitely gone through a few phases, probably hiring your first staff person and then hiring your first associate, um, all of that, right? Right? Exactly. So the first time I ever even had staff was I shared an assistant with two other attorneys. And then one of the attorneys dropped off, so then it was two of us. And then um, that assistant ended up leaving and I ended up hiring my own. And so from there, you know, I, I, for a long time, even as recently as a couple of years ago, I pretty much only had like one or two employees at the most. And I just started to realize that you can't grow if you don't add staff because you as an attorney can only earn so much money. And so if you want to bring in more revenue to the firm, you're going to have to have other people who can do that work as well. Right. Right. Yeah, that's it's a huge realization. And it takes, you know, it, it takes a while to come to that realization, I think, for for most for most attorneys, for most well, for most business people, small business owners in general. But for most attorneys, definitely to get to that point. And, you know, there's a lot of fear around hiring other people and sort of being responsible for other people. I've had that conversation with other um, attorneys. And did you, did you go through that? Was that kind of what, what took you a while to hire people was the thought of having being responsible for other people or, you know, not knowing you could do it or what, what kinds of things sort of held you back from hiring sooner? Right. So, so it was definitely that fear of, can I provide for these people you know, you always have that thought like, oh, if I hire someone, I've got to be able to pay them. Um, so you definitely, like, I definitely went through that process. And then I just realized, oh, I can pay this person. Oh, I can add another. I can add another. And so, you know, at some point you just realize I can do this. So, but yeah, I mean, of course, at the beginning, I was just as fearful as anyone else. <laughs> and so what helped you overcome that? What helped you overcome it to the point where you were like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this thing. Right. Scared. I'm going to do it scared. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. So just basically realizing that I could only help so many people if it was me alone. And so once that I saw that I could help more people and reach out to more people and do more work and do better work on cases, then that was what motivated me to say, okay, I can, I can add more people. This is okay. We're going to be all right. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that coming from a place of having a greater impact and being to help being able to serve more people. That's, yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's a wonderful basis for doing. And so what challenges do you find now? Because I think, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of people think, oh, gosh, you know, when I when I have more staff and I have more then all my problems will be solved. <laughs> and, but at every phase, at every phase, there there are new challenges, right? So what do you what kinds of things now um, are you um, what kinds of things now are you finding are challenges for you that you're working on to sort of overcome now? So I would say new challenges are being able to manage all the staff, 
making sure that everyone's happy and happy with their job and taking care of themselves and being taken care of. I'm always looking for, you know, how can I keep my staff happy? What can I do for them? What benefits can I offer them? Um, I, I think a lot of small firms do not offer their employees a lot of benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're businesses just like major corporations. We have to figure out a way to take care of our employees so they in turn can work and help take care of our business. Um, so that's a big challenge is trying to juggle all of that. Um, of course, trying to make sure everybody's comfortable in their space, making sure we have enough space, um, you know, and, and, and just kind of managing the growth. We, we've had a lot of exponential growth and sometimes it can be a little hard to keep up with. And so just making sure that we're constantly reviewing our systems and updating them to catch up with the growth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> talk to me about some of the, uh, what would you say your, the biggest lesson that you've learned since 2006, 2006 to now, the biggest lesson you've learned or lessons you've learned that you might share with other people who are on this solo to CEO journey that might be a little behind where you are? So I would say biggest lesson is to be smart when you're hiring employees. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people just want to hire, you know, someone they know, someone um, for a very low wage, not offer any benefits. Be smart about it because you want good talent and you've got to be able to take care of that talent so that they'll take care of you. And um, don't, I feel like a couple of times maybe I settled for people in my office that I shouldn't have and I ended up regretting it. And now I think I have a wonderful team. And so it took a while to get there. So just being very smart and deliberate about who you hire. Don't ever feel pressure to hire someone because you need someone in the office. That's what temp agencies are for. That's what virtual assistants are for. There are ways to cover deficiencies in an office until you have the staff you want in place. So how do you, what are, what are some of your uh, sort of tips for hiring and hiring process and finding the right uh, team, the right staff, the right people? Cause I'm sure you've done, you know, you, you've done it a few times now. So you probably have a good process for that. Right. So first thing is that you have to think about what position you're looking for. So say you're looking for a receptionist. Well, the next step is that you need to write out what every single one of that receptionist's duties are going to be. And when you're writing up your uh, job listing, making sure that that you are incorporating that into the job listing because the people applying need to know what's going to be asked of them. And also, it helps give you an idea of really what you need. If you wait and hire someone and then start figuring out what you want them to do, you may find that you hired someone who does not meet what you actually need. So it helps you in the beginning to make sure you understand what your needs are. Uh, I like to use a website, Indeed. I like to use them to place my job listings because they offer things like uh, you can automatically screen applicants before they ever get to you. You can also send applicants tests to handle, like uh, typing tests or 
uh, spelling tests, grammar tests. So you've already kind of assessed them before that you ever speak to them. Um, you know, and then of course you want to have multiple conversations with candidates, both on the phone and in person, to really get a good idea of who you're dealing with. I've had people where they were great on the phone, they were great on paper. As soon as they walked into my office, I said they are not going to be a good fit. Um, and, and you have to do that. You have to go through those several steps before you decide to hire. And don't ever be attached to any particular applicant because you may extend an offer and they may turn it down because it's not what they want at this time. So you can never get your feelings hurt about it. You just have to say, okay, this wasn't the person. Let me continue. Oh, I love that. That's great advice. That's great. That's that's great advice about you know, because I think a, a lot of times people tend to take things uh, personally, you know, when they get, <laughs> we, we think that no one's going to reject us, that we must, that we're, right. you know, awesome. And nobody could possibly reject us without, you know, thinking that they may have their own uh, agenda or needs that have nothing to do with us personally. Right. Right. And we, you also dodge a bullet. When somebody, when somebody just lets you know right up front that they, you know, they're not going to accept the offer, that's okay. That's okay. That means right. that person really wasn't for you and your business and you found out sooner rather than later. Um, so have you had uh, a lot of experience in having to fire people, let people go? Not really. Um, and that's been a blessing. So I haven't really had to do that. Or you've had some really good, you've been really uh, uh, good at do, going through your hiring process. If you haven't had to do a lot of firing people, then I guess. I would say a little bit of that, but also I think maybe sometimes people recognizing that it was time for them to leave before they were asked to leave. Right, right. It's a little of both, I'd say. So, so that's good. So tell me about what it is like to hire an associate because that's a different sort of experience than staff. And I think that tends to be a little more scary for attorneys than staff. Right. So that was very scary. That was scarier than anything else I've ever had. Oh, really? <laughs> Just because you know, you think of yourself, you're like, I'm an attorney. And if I were to be hired by a firm, I would want a decent salary. I would want all these things, you know, and you want to be respected and you want your associate to be respected. So you're, you feel that pressure of, okay, am I going to be able to give this associate what they want? Also, having an associate means you are relinquishing control of cases. And that's very hard because I'll see cases and I want to like jump in and say, oh, I just do all of it. And I can't. I have to let the associate take it because otherwise, you know, how are they going to learn? How are they going to grow if I do everything? So right. right now my associate, she's a young lawyer. Uh, she actually has been working on and off for our office for the past few years. Uh, she started working for us as a law clerk while she was still in school. And so just through time, you know, she would come back when she uh, had free time and then she sat for the bar and I said, hey, if you pass the bar, I'm happy to bring you on as an associate. And so she did. And she's an associate. She's been great. And it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, 
and she's definitely helped me out a lot. So, um, you know, I, I would say like with hiring an associate, you know, just if you want to bring in more revenue, you're going to have to at some point bring on lawyers to do the work because you're going to hire all the support staff you want. If you have 10 paralegals and one attorney, that one attorney is doing all of the court appearances, all of the mediations, all of the attorney work. So at some point you just have to say, okay, it's time and bring on that associate. Right. Right. Well, and if you want to do the, you know, if you want to be free up your time to manage the firm, to do rainmaking, to do all of that, you know, all the things that we want to do to, you know, all of those things that we want to do to advance the, the business, to grow the business, you have to free that up. So you have to get, you know, other lawyers to do the work, right? Exactly. Um, but the fear comes around, you know, I think, I think where a lot of the fear comes, it comes into play is they drill into us in law school and they're not wrong that our, you know, everything we do, our law license is at stake. So any mistake, any person who works for us makes, you know, it, our law license is at stake that we're responsible for everybody else's behavior. And that's just not the case with other types of businesses out there, you know? And right. so that's what brads to the fear of this. You know that every person who works for us, if they do something, ultimately we're accountable. The book really does stop with us, right? So that's where I think right. so much comes from, you know, that everybody thinks that attorneys are so controlling and all of that. Well, that's where that part of that comes from is that, yeah, we kind of are, but also you know, we sort of have to be. And so there's a lot, there's a real high level of trust that you have to have for people who work with you and especially other lawyers. But um, <clears throat> that's where your hiring process and procedures really come into play. And then also your training, um, training of them and develop, and you develop that trust uh, you know, so you work with them to train them about how, uh, in a way that you like things done, right? Exactly. Um, so talk to me about what is, what, what do you find now? How do you manage your time now? How would you say you, you prioritize your time now that you are a larger practice? And how is your time management different than it was when it was just you and one or two staff people? So one thing that we've been doing now that I didn't have to do when it was a much smaller office was we have weekly case review meetings where we sit down and for like an hour and a half, just like touch most of our active cases, discuss them, see what needs to be done next and keep those moving forward. Whereas before, you know, the business was smaller, so I was sitting there spending hours looking at each thing every day. That was not necessarily a good use of my time. So mm -hmm. having more staff and being able to have that meeting once a week definitely frees everybody up to be able to um, actually work on cases as opposed to trying to to like assess every case and figure out what needs to be done. Um, in terms of time management, I am like 
queen of the schedules and lists. And so I have like, I've reverted back to using paper because I feel like paper just, there's just something different versus having your schedule completely on your phone. So I go through and every day write out everything I need to do and fill in the, the kind of the open areas with things that need to be done. So I have a big, I have a lot of control over my schedule um, to make sure that I don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you are, uh, you're, you're still, at, you have this associate, but you're still active in a lot of cases yourself? Right. Right. So you're doing that, you're managing the practice, you're doing the rainmaking um, as well, right? Generating business for the practice. Exactly. Yeah. So you're having to, to sort of juggle all of those facets. Are you finding that you're, um, you know, spending more time now sort of working on the business than in the business, though? I do definitely have more time to work on the business, but at the same time, I have more freedom to work, quote unquote, in the business so that I'm able to give more attention to my caseload as well. So it's been a blessing that it's allowed me to do both of those things. So, but you, you get to be a little more selective about what cases you're working on. Right. And I get to be more thoughtful about the cases I'm working on and look at what those cases really need so that if they need more work, if they need a court setting, something like that, I have the time to be able to do those things. Right. So that probably make, brings that probably makes you feel a, a lot more relieved and in control because then you're not worried about things falling through the cracks and all of that because you can slow down a little bit and actually be a little bit more strategic in what you're doing in your own cases. Instead exactly. of having too many cases on your plate where you're always worried about that. Um, right. So go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, right. So I can be more focused on my own caseload. Mm-hmm. So what is next for your law firm? So are we, are we growing? Is, are we growing more? Yes. So definitely more growth. I am definitely I'm looking to hire more staff, more associates. You know, I want a firm that is running itself, um, and then that way we can, you know, offer even better service to our clients, be able to move our cases along in an efficient manner, but also providing excellent service, uh, growing particular areas of our business. So my goal is to move more towards the mediation aspect of things. And so being able to help people resolve disputes and stay out of court, that's one of my favorite things. Uh, So definitely being able to focus on that. Meanwhile, have my firm handle the litigation aspects of our cases. Well, I really, really appreciate all that you have shared today. I think you have um, really offered a lot of insight and wonderful information for uh, particularly for those who uh, are, are in, like I said, a little bit behind you on the solo to CEO um, journey. I think if uh, they listen to this podcast, they're going to get a tremendous amount of information that's going to be very helpful to them because you have definitely shared a wealth of um, insight and information 
So if they want to find out more about your practice and uh, tell us, tell us where you're located, you're located in San Antonio, Texas. So tell us um, where they can find, find you on the interwebs, all the places they can find you. Right. So we are definitely located in San Antonio, Texas, and we serve the South Central Texas area. So that's going to include Bear County and the surrounding counties. So if you think about counties that touch Bear County, we serve those counties um, all the way west to Uvalde and then even sometimes Del Rio. Um, where you can find us. So my Facebook page is facebook.com slash J-Y-R legal. Our website is jyrlegal.com. They can always call us at 210-224-4077 or send an email to office at jyrlegal.com. Excellent. Okay. Thanks so much, Jacqueline. I really appreciate you being here. It was delightful to talk with you as always. And uh, I thank you so much. Thank you so much. You have a good day. The Solo to CEO podcast is sponsored by D. Frederick Media and Marketing and the Solo to CEO system. We help professional women entrepreneurs transform from solos to CEOs of high-impact, high-revenue-generating businesses while reclaiming their time and creating the lifestyle of their dreams. If you are ready to skyrocket your revenue, cultivate a crackerjack team, and set up systems and automation to get your firm running like a well-oiled machine so you can focus on the highest and best use of your time, then you'll want to attend our latest presentation, Six Shifts to Transform Your Solo Practice into a Seven-Figure Firm with Total Ease. Register at law.solotoceo.biz webinar.